necessarily preach the sermon. Um, and so I love praying for you during that time. I love doing the, praying the Lord's Prayer with you. Um, that archaic language in there um, isn't because um, we think older is better, but because it connects us to things who have gone in the past and remembers, it reminds us that people have prayed that prayer for a long time um, now, our, our grandparents and great-grandparents and, and great-great-grandparents, and that's important for us to realize, and one of the benefits of this congregation is we really go from in utero to mid-80s um, in, our, in our age groups, and I love that, and I always want that to be a case, and I always want to look back on the past and look at things that have, that have gone by and remember um, what it was like to be a Christian um, in those days and um, the things that we experienced in our own our own histories, those are good things to recount, as well as to look towards the future, which is where we're going this morning as we look at um, Ephesians 4. And so as we're stepping into um, Ephesians 4 this morning, to bring you up to speed if you're visiting with us, it's a little bit of an odd sermon, and a little bit of an odd sermon series. And what we've realized is that we are moving now to ordain elders, elder pastors in our congregation. Um, we're becoming what's called a particular church, moving out of what it means to be a mission church. Up till now, we've had borrowed elders from Charlottesville um, so that we could have leadership up until the place we would stand on our own. Um, and a part of what we've wanted to do as a church plant is reach people who maybe have not been involved with a church in the past, maybe have not been a Christian, maybe had a bad experience with a church in the past, um, and are now re-engaging with the church. And so we've talked about the gospel, and we've preached the book of Luke and the book of Acts, and we've looked at all of these things. And as we come to standing on our own as a church and ordaining elders, I realize that there is a very um, broad um, difference in where people are coming from when they even hear the word church. And so we've taken this little brief little mini-series before Easter to take a look at the church and ask ourselves, what is a church? What's an elder? What's the mission of the church? What's a, what's a church member? Because if I were to give you a survey, hand out a piece of paper and give you little golf pencils and you could take the survey and I collect them at the end. What's the church? What's a church member? In order to compile them, I would think that there would be a lot of different expectations um, that you have based on your background and what you think the Bible may teach about the church or membership. And so I wanted to take some time as a congregation to look at Ephesians and different sections of Timothy and ask ourselves, what is the church and what's the church um, about. And so that's where we are. Where we are this morning in particular is talking about church members and what the church is supposed to do. We looked at elders for the past two weeks, um, and now we're looking at members. And what is that connection between elder pastor and church member? Um, I've said from the beginning that I am not content with simply seeing a healthy church established, which is what I want for Christ's covenant. Um, I really believe that God is calling us as a church in this area to see revival sweeps, <coughs> excuse me, sweep Central Virginia. Um, through my own genealogy and study of American church history, um, revivals have swept through um, America at different points where massive amounts of people have come to faith, um, not because some new, um, some pragmatic program or some book was released, but simply because people caught a vision of God and who he is and his grace, um, and they started coming to salvation and just droves. And so I want to see it happen again. And I actually think there's some cool things happening um, through our denomination, through our church planning network, Acts 29, um, and across um, our area of Virginia that leads me to believe we're on the cusp of that. And so I really want um, Christ's covenant to be simply a healthy church with healthy elders. Um, but I also want to see what it would look like for us to participate and see more churches planted, more people come to Christ. Um, I am not content with simply re reshuffling the denominational deck in Culpeper. I was not called here 
um, to convert Baptists into Presbyterians. Um, and so um, Spurgeon, as a Baptist, said, I would not go across the street to convert uh, someone to be a Baptist, but I'd go across an ocean to convert somebody to be a Christian. Um, and so we really want to see people who don't know Jesus come to faith in Christ. In order to do that, um, we're going to have to see the ways that Jesus has already designed the church to do that and to accomplish that mission. In the process, we're going to kind of have to kill some of our, our, our cows. We're going to have to take some of the ideas and expectations that we have for ourselves and for pastors and for the church and say, is that really the way it's supposed to be? Or maybe are the ways that I think about a church and my own participation in church not biblical at all, and I've just kind of adopted them from the culture and what the culture thinks about church membership and pastors. And so we're in Ephesians 4 um, this morning, and we're going to be looking at that. We're going to move from elders to world missions. And you all, as members and potential members of Christ's covenant, are going to be right there in between. So um, I'll read to us from Ephesians Four verses 11 down to 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, and he is Jesus. So Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the Word of our God, why don't we pray this morning before we consider it. Heavenly Father, we love you. We love your church that you've put us in. We love Jesus, um, the king of the church, the groom of the church, the one who is building the church, and one day we'll return to take the church home to be with you and him and the Holy Spirit in heaven and the new earth. And we long for that day, and in the meantime, we want you to find us faithful, both in the study of your word and the living it out in the place you've put us. And so we pray that you be with us now as we consider it. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. All right, so what we're going to do, like I said, a little bit different of, um, of a sermon this morning. But what we're going to try to accomplish is we're going to look at this text. And this text is actually a series of four lists. And so if you have your Bible in front of you, you can, um, you can open that up and turn to Ephesians 4. If you don't, um, you can just listen as I as I preach through it. By the way, we have Bibles in the back. We'd love for you to take one if you don't have a Bible or if you know somebody that needs um, a Bible. And these days, you can just go to an app store on your phone or your iPad or your computer and get a Bible. The Bible's never been more accessible and actually, as the studies show, actually never been more um, under, misunderstood as well and not read. So we hope to overcome that at Christ's Covenant and um, look through different passages of the Bible and, um, and teach and understand them together. And so we'll look at this. We're starting first in this passage with our first list. And the first thing it says that Jesus has given really all of you to the church. So the big idea for Christians and gifts that we have is that every Christian comes to local church with certain gifts. So if you choose not to be here, we actually all lose out. It isn't just that you don't gain from what happens to us and what we teach and preach and the experience of being in worship on a Sunday morning, but actually we don't gain from you. And so one of the reasons that we believe in church membership and encourage people to be a part of a local church is because we believe every Christian has a gift 
and that God designed that gift not only to be used in the world, but to be used in a congregation. And so if you're not a part of a local church, you're basically saying, yeah, I have this gift, but I'm not going to share it with anybody. And so we want you to be here. We want you to come and use your gift. We were um, talking to a guy um, this morning, I won't say who, but um, he had done some work up here for the setup team and designed something that's helpful um, up on stage, you know, made it with his, with his hands. And I said, that's awesome. I, I would never be able to do that. You know, I put my hands on things and they break. I don't put my hands on things and they come together or get fixed. Um, but that was his gift and he served in that way. And that's awesome. Um, just like when you come in, you serve in other ways. And so it might even just be an encouraging conversation with somebody on Sunday morning. It might be whoever's back there wiping the noses of little kids. Um, those are all ways that we've been given to serve in a local church. And so all of us are a part of the church. We all bring our gifts together and then we go out into the world um, as missionaries, which we'll get to. But the first thing you see here is a list of five different types of people, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and shepherds. Um, some of those were used in the early church to establish the church, like apostles and prophets. There at the end of the list, you see um, two offices that carry over into um, the church today. And so when you look at pastors and teachers or shepherds and teachers, those are the same words used elsewhere to describe elders. And what you find in common in this list of five are Christians who've been given, what we might say, word or teaching gifts. So like I said, I, I can't put things together. You don't want me designing or fixing. You don't want me playing any of these instruments um, at all. That would not go well. But I can teach and preach. That's one of the few things I can do and one of the few things that I have to offer you um, as a congregation. And so there's this list of teaching ministries, and it says that Jesus particularly, after his ascension, has gifted the church with men who are capable of teaching the word of God um, accurately in the church. And so the first thing you see is simply that elders are a gift to a local church by Jesus to teach and preach um, the word of God. It's what we are called to. Um, as I tell people, pastors and elders never have um, a, a lack of things to do. Um, people, believe it or not, I don't sit around all week like playing golf and hanging out and you know, watching the TV and just show up on Sunday and preach. Um, there's actually a lot of things that go on during the week and every week I have far more to do or could do than what I actually can do during the week. But my primary job as an elder or pastor is to understand the word of God and to teach the word of God. And if I don't do that, then I'm trying to take somebody else's gift that I don't have um, and actually stepping on your toes when there might be your gift to serve in a congregation in a different way. And so the first thing we see is this list of five word or teaching people who Jesus has given to the congregation. Now, you'd ask then, why is he giving them to the congregation? What are they supposed to do? If they're not supposed to sit around and watch TV and hang out from Monday to Saturday and just show up and teach, what are, what are, what are they supposed to do? And so you get this next phrase, and there's actually three phrases, one of which leads and the other two follow, and it's equip the saints, second phrase, for the work of the ministry, third phrase, to build up the body of Christ. And so very clearly, the Apostle Paul is saying the reason that God has given elders and pastors to a local congregation is to equip them for the work of the ministry. That the elders and the church members together would thirdly build up the body of Christ. And so I wonder if I had you know, a little golf pencil survey, if I said, who does ministry in the church? I wonder how many folks would say pastor, elder on their way out. 
wonder how many people would say service team member. I wonder if this page, if you know afterwards, if I were to, now that you've heard this passage on your way out, say, the people who do ministry, who are equipped to do ministry in the church, are actually the members of the church. And that the pastor's job is to do that equipping and equip you to do that kind of ministry. I love doing it. Um, at times, I envy um, the ways you are able to spend time with folks who don't know Christ yet, for folks who are not Christians. I really love hanging out with folks who are curious about Christianity. Um, a lot of times, they're a lot more fun to be around than Christians. Christians cause a lot of trouble a lot of times. Sometimes I've just, just had enough of these Christians. I would just really like to go hang out with some non-Christians um, for some time. Um, but it is my joy to equip you um, and understand that a part of my job puts me around Christians a lot to equip you to go out and to share the gospel and to minister to people that I'll never be around. We had one old, dear old lady in our congregation, um, and she saw her ministry is being a part of a knitting ministry. And that was great. She said, I'm, I'm a part of this knitting club in Culpeper. I didn't know there was a knitting club in Culpeper. Apparently there is one. Um, and she wanted to be a part of the knitting club, not just because she loved knitting, but she wanted people there to know about Jesus. Again, you don't want me in the knitting club. I'm not going to do well with a bunch of old ladies knitting um, and doing that. I, I would stick out there. That's not where I'm called to be. But that was where she was called to be. And she saw that as her area of ministry. And it is my joy and privilege and pleasure to train and equip her to go to the knitting club and know how to share Christ with people in her knitting club so that all of us together build up the body of Christ. That third thing, which I've already said, building up the body of Christ is not becoming simply a strong church, even though you'll see that's where we want to be. We want to be a strong church. Building up the body of Christ means seeing people who don't know Jesus meet Jesus and place their faith in him. That is church growth, period. If we come in and there's everybody, all the Christians here, Christ Covenant is just the best church in the world, and we just swell to like 800 with a bunch of Christians, we actually have not grown by a single person. We could have to move to a different facility. So many Christians are coming to this place. But at that point, we still haven't grown by a single person. Somebody meets Jesus and places their faith in him. Now we've grown. A child grows up to profess faith for the first time. Now we've grown. And so that's what we look for, um, for church growth. And my job as an elder and the other guy's job as elder pastors is to equip you for that ministry that we together would see the church grow. Third list that you see in that passage, you see it starts with an until. And so we're going to do this equipping, ministering, church growing thing until three things happen. And the first thing you see is the unity of faith. And so I'm equipping us so that we together would agree about Jesus and the core doctrines of the Christian church, that we would have a unity that is built around Christ in this congregation. It's going to be one of the things in our stage of faith that we're going to be most challenged with. Our unity is not around our skin color. Our unity is not around <coughs> excuse me, our, our, um, socioethno um, our socioeconomic standard. Our unity is not around what team we cheer for. Our unity is not around our age bracket. Our unity is not about our denominational background. Our unity is around Christ and the gospel and the mission that he's called us to. And that's something important for us to understand because a lot of times there will be disagreement in a church. And that's fine if there's disagreement in a church. We don't all agree lockstep about everything. In fact, that would be really weird if we did. 
Like it'd be some kind of weird cult. Like you'd be wondering if I'm putting like Kool-Aid into the communion cups or something, if we all had to agree about the same thing. But where our unity is, our unity is around Christ. We do agree about him. Our unity is about the doctrines of faith. We do agree about that. Our unity is about our mission to go and reach non-Christians. We do agree about that. And so we hold, this is our unity. These are things we get sideways about. Over here are all the ranges of disagreement that we could have. And the way that the Lord has designed our congregation and any congregation is when our unity is around Christ, we can have disagreements and it not tear us apart. We can have conflict and work through it and it not be the end. And folks have to just find a new church because they got in a fight with somebody. When our unity is around Christ and the gospel, now we have the one thing that can truly unify anyone who comes. If our unity is around, the st- around our skin color, then all of a sudden we're not going to have unity in our, in our culture. If our unity is around our political beliefs, then we're not going to have unity. If our unity is around how we school our kids, if our unity is around how we you know, raise our, it, it, all the different things that we could do, then all of a sudden we're fragmented. But if our unity is around Christ, now anyone may come. Any sinner may come, receive Christ, and be a part of his family. And in that, it means that we'll grow up, the second thing in that list, to um, matureness. To be a mature man, he uses the illustration as if we were a body, a living being. And I hope for that. I hope for stability for us. There are immature churches and mature churches. Um, I think we're probably a teenager. Um, Kind of that awkward stage where we've made some growth and um, we're not quite there yet. And we still kind of have some freak out moments, but we're still kind of growing and hope to be an adult soon. And so that's kind of where I feel like our congregation is by year five. Um, Who knows how long we'll be in the teenage years. Um, I hope not very long, because those are hard years. Um, But I think that's where we are, and we're looking for stability as a congregation, and we have growth to do. And one of the jobs, again, of elders is to help equip a congregation, not only individuals to grow, but a congregation to grow together as a group of people. And the third thing he says is to the fullness of Christ, um, so that we as a congregation would reflect who Jesus is, that we would love our culture, that we would serve our culture, that we would proclaim the gospel to um, Culpeper, that we would indwell the gospel here where we are. I would hope that if we decided today to simply close up shop, if we decide to vote and Christ's covenant's done, that Culpeper would miss us, that Culpeper would even notice that we weren't here. And that's my longing for us to be Christ to Culpeper That we would be here not to make our name great, but to make Jesus' name great, to serve in the ways that we can, to love Culpeper in the ways we can, and not even under the banner of Christ's covenant, but simply as you head out into the places God has called you, to the areas he's called you, and love people in the name of Jesus. So it means to become in the fullness of Christ, that third thing. And then lastly, he closes and he says, I don't want you to do this. It's a negative positive. And so so that we aren't tossed to and fro on the waves and so that we're not deceived by wrong doctrine, but instead speaking the truth in love, we grow up into Christ. And so what happens here on Sunday morning um, can either lead us astray or lead us towards Christ and mission. And so part of the reason God has given again, if we circle back around elder pastors to a local church, is to make sure that what is preached and taught here and the ways that I teach us and encourage us to live out this faith in Culpeper is in line with the word of God. You've probably seen several churches go astray and it always starts with the teaching ministry um, and the way that people understand and preach the Bible. And so that's how he closes. We don't want to be deceived, wander off, be on the waves, tossed to and fro. Instead, we want to speak the truth in love and become more like Jesus. 
And so what you've seen here in this passage is start with elders. Elders equip church members to do the work of the ministry to build up the church until the church has a unity of faith, is a mature church, is more like Jesus. And we're going to continue to do that because we realize it's easy for not only individuals but groups to go astray into wrong doctrine and into falsehood. And so we want to strap ourselves to the mast of the Bible and say we're going to stand right here about the truthfulness of who Jesus is and what he's called us to do in culture. And so that's what this passage teaches. So now a little transition point, I hope to summarize by showing you what that means for us. So again, if you're visiting with us, a little bit of an odd sermon. I typically don't preach um, this way, but it's important for us to understand uh, moving forward how Jesus has designed us to reach folks in Culpeper. And so the, the first thing that I want you to see is that elders, pastors, are resident theologians and missiologists. Resident theologians and missiologists. My primary job is to understand the Bible, to preach it to you accurately so that you can understand it, and to enable you for the mission that God's called you to. That makes me a theologian and a missiologist. And so I study the Bible and the Lord, and I study the culture um, that we're in. I've done a lot of study on Culpeper, on its demographics. I've talked to a lot of people. Um, I feel like I understand Culpeper so much better now, five years later, than I did when I first arrived. And I made some bad assumptions about our culture and where we are. That was a part of studying the missiology of reaching a place like Culpeper. One of the things that I'm really, really excited about is that right now you, we, are doing something that really isn't being done anywhere else in the country. A lot of people are thinking through, how do we reach urban centers? A lot of people are saying Chicago, New York City, LA, Washington, DC, even smaller urban centers like a Richmond or um, a Virginia Beach. What are the ways that the church can reach folks who don't know Christ in those areas? Very few people are thinking through, how do we reach people in places like Culpeper? How can we create a reproducible model of church planning for reaching folks in places like we live in? And Culpeper's a little bit different than places I've been in the past. And so I was in Kosciuszko, Mississippi, Mississippi before this. 7,000 people in Kosciuszko. One stoplight and a Walmart. That was it. I mean, I, I, that's when I first started to learn about cattle and cattle farmers. <laughs> it really isn't that significant of a place. But there were non-Christians there, and there were Christians, and ministry was going on. Now you come to Culpeper, and you think, that's a very similar environment to Kosciuszko. I mean, within the, the limits of Culpeper Town, we've got 17,000 people. Within the county, we've got 50,000 people. According to American demographics, to be a small town, you have to be under 500,000. So we are 10% of what U.S. demographics call a small town. So that makes us a small town. But... Some of you drive all the way to Tyson's Corner to work. Some of you have significant background in Charlottesville and other areas. Many folks will grow up to Culpeper to go all kinds of different places. They look to attend maybe a school, a college, and stay in-state. All of a sudden, we're in a state that has a ton of universities, universities and colleges that are training people to go out and not just do something small, but to do big things in the world. The reach of Culpeper is exponentially larger than a place like Kosciuszko. So what would it look like for us as a congregation to figure out for other congregations to come in other areas like this, what it looks like to come in places like this 
and not only plant churches, but figure out how to continue to plant churches and reach the nations in ways that only we can, in ways that the kind of ministry that works in D.C. doesn't work here. That's really exciting to me, and I hope that's really exciting to you. Culpeper is a really significant place to live, a really important place to live, a really important place to do ministry. And I want to help you the best I can with my understanding of the Bible, my understanding of culture, and my understanding of our church to figure out how can we reach this area and the world beyond. I'm thinking a lot about that. And that's what pastor elders are called to do, according to this pastor. They're, passage, they're not called to do the ministry. And so some things that pastors aren't called um, to do. Cast, pastors are not called to be chaplains. There is a chaplain ministry, and so you've heard of a military chaplain. Their job is to go in and to take care of Christians who are in the different segments of the armed services. They're not trying to, and they will, but they're not trying to, and they're actually even more hindered as um, American government and military creates more laws to evangelize the American military. Actually putting a lot of barriers to them sharing the gospel beyond. So a chaplain comes in and just takes care of those Christians who are there. Um, the folks who called me to be a pastor here, the elders who brought me in the presbytery said, you may not be a chaplain. We're calling you to plant a church. We're calling you to train people to reach other people. You're not just trying to take these bunch of 20 and 30-somethings and pastor them till they're in retirement homes and you bury them all. That's, that is not what I'm about. And that's not what I'm called to. That's not what a pastor or an elder is called to. There is such thing as chaplain ministry, but a pastor is called to equip the saints for the work of ministry. The second thing that I'm not called to is I'm not, as we said, called to do the ministry of the church. I am called to equip you. And so there are times where I do pastoral care. I actually do a lot of pastoral care. I do pastoral counseling. Um, I work on the structure of the church. I meet with people, and I like meeting with people, but that is not my primary job. It is not my job to go out and meet all of the Christian, all the non-Christians in Culpeper and try and invite them to the church. That's your job, which we'll get to. You understand that if God has given gifts for all of you to do that, and God has given, let me guess, like maybe 82 people here um, this morning gathered together, if God has intended these 82 people to go out and reach folks in Culpeper, and all of you say, that's not my job, that's the job of the three elders um, here, all of a sudden three elders are trying to do the job of 82 people. It's not my job. It's not my job to do the ministry of the church. And if you, if you put that on me, not only will I be crushed and my family be crushed, but you will miss out on the privilege of reaching Culpeper and the places you can. And people who are there, who God's put there for you to reach, are going to be unreached. Because I'm not going to be in where you are on Monday morning. I'm not going to stop in and hang around your water cooler all morning and see who I can reach. That's where you are and what I want you to do. I'm not going to be there, you know, discipling your kids and your infants. That's your job. That's what you're called to do. I'm not going to be there when you have a dinner party and you feel like you need to make it Christian, so you need to invite the pastor over. Have a dinner party and talk about Jesus without inviting the pastor over. That's your job. You do that. And I'm going to do the things that I'm called to, and together we'll see the nations reached. So that's what I'm called to do. I am a theologian and a missiologist. I do do pastoral care. I do do crisis care. But we'll talk about how, um, a little bit later, how that can um, be done a little bit differently. So, that's the first thing. Um, the second thing, we have to judge the fruitfulness of an elder by how well he is equipping Christians to do ministry. So when you ask the question, do we have a good pastor? 
do we have a good elder? Is this person that we were thinking about ordaining as a congregation to be an elder really an elder? We need to think in terms not that they're, you know, the congregation's BFF. You know, for girls, maybe that's best friend forever. For guys, that's best fishing friend. And so it's not whether they're your BFF. It's whether or not they're equipping people to do ministry. It's not that they're always available. It's whether they're equipping saints to do ministry. Please, and I mean, I can handle it, and I deal with a lot of false expectations, but especially as we ordain other men to ministry, encourage them when you see them equipping Christians for ministry. Expect them to do that and have a very low expectation threshold for the other aspects that a, a culture might expect a pastor to do. So, number two. Number three, congregational care happens horizontally, not vertically. Congregational care happens horizontally, not vertically. The vertical way of thinking about congregational care is I'm going to live my life fine. Um, I'm not going to really form relationships or be involved in stuff. I'll show up on Sunday. Um, and when stuff goes really bad, um, I'm going to get the pastor to swoop in like a helicopter and fix everything and then swoop back out. That's vertical congregational care. The Bible teaches horizontal congregational care. I want you to have Christian friends. Deal? Not too hard. I want you to form relationships with other Christians with whom you begin to share your life. On day one, you don't have to say your deepest, darkest secrets. In fact, probably don't do that on day one. But start to form friendships with other Christians. Get involved with things like service teams or serving in the nursery so that when stuff comes unglued in your life, you have people in your life to care for you and to love you. You have a built-in support network. Don't be negligent in forming friendships and then expect the pastors to fix it when all, literally, hell breaks loose in your life. Theologically accurate when all hell breaks loose in your life. Because congregational care happens this way. You do ministry together. The most solid relationships that I have ever found, especially amongst men, are in men who've served in the armed services together. And I've, I did not serve in armed services myself, and as I've talked to people, they say time and time again, and you see it reflected in Band of Brothers and Saving Private Ryan and, and Lone Survivor, all these different movies, that when you're in battle together, it creates friendships with other people that are super strong, people you rely on and go to. And girls, you can do a girl illustration for whatever that is. Maybe it's battle for you, whatever it is. So as we're living ministry together, and you see yourselves called to reach Culpepper together, you will see your friendships grow. Work alongside one another, whether it's a service day, whether it's just going and doing something with someone else, whether it's coaching. Uh, I know that the Culpepper Soccer Association needs more coaches. You don't even have a kid in, caught in the soccer to coach. What if you decided with one of your Christian friends, hey, let's just go serve Culpepper Soccer and coach a team um, this year because they need it. And that's just the way we're going to serve and get to know folks in our community. Whatever it might be for you, serving alongside people and forming those relationships forms the relationships you will need to weather the storms that will come because congregational care happens horizontally, not vertically. 
Now, there are such situations, of course, where pastors come in and provide crisis counseling um, when stuff happens. And of course, your elders and pastors are available to you. But I'm telling you, your Christian friendships are your responsibility. They're not my responsibility. You doing Christian things are your responsibility. They're not my responsibility. I'm intentionally keeping the church schedule light so that you can do things. I can and am able on doing things every night of the week. I can schedule things that way. And I can call it Christian and we can come together and do our Christian things and I can run them all. You can already tell I like talking. I can teach every night of the week without a problem. Plenty of content. I can ramble for a long time and I think I would actually hinder you in your mission rather than support it. Go out, have people in your home, participate in different community events, meet with people over lunch, be where you are doing what you're doing and love people in the name of Jesus and bring some of your friends in the congregation along with you because congregational care happens horizontally, not vertically. Fourth out of five, and I'm almost done um, summarizing the last two you've already heard. Members are missionaries. If you decide to become a member of Christ's covenant, you are joining the long-term mission team to Culpeper. You can think all of a sudden if I would say, all right, listen, we're going to go to Indonesia this summer. I want to I get together a, 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 small, a short-term team to go to Indonesia, and 12 of you sign up. And All right, let's do the planning to go to Indonesia. All right, how are we going to get there? What's the language they speak? What's the kind of ministry that we think that we could really do? What are the cultural things that we need to know? What's the church like there? How are we going to strategically, over the course of those two weeks, reach that area in Indonesia? And you would go and you would do it, and it would be a hugely encouraging time. And you would grow together in those relationships with the people that you're on that team with, and you'd come back and tell the congregation how wonderful it is. If you're a member of Christ's covenant, you are part of the long-term mission team to Culpeper. You've already moved here. You're learning the language. You're learning what Culpeperians like and what they don't like. And you learn the things that they do and that they don't do. You learn the types of ministry you are able to do and where you fit in in this area. You're doing it alongside of other members who are with you, growing in relationship, depending on the Lord, and longing to see this place changed by the gospel. If you're a member, you are a missionary. You are doing ministry here in Culpeper. And you've already accomplished so much. Over these past five years, it has been so fun for me as a pastor to see the people who've come and met Christ through this congregation, to see the way different groups have been served, not because we wanted our name to be out there or we wanted a newspaper article, but just because we cared about Young Life or we cared about the pregnancy center or we care about women and children who are suffering from domestic violence and wanted to just paint the safe house here um, in town. We just wanted to love our community. You've done such a good job. And so what we long for, lastly, in that building up language in Ephesians 4, is for growth. We long to see people meet Jesus. I have seen more people meet Christ in this church in five years than my previous two churches combined. You are at the perfect size to see a ton of people come to Christ. Statistically, churches over 700 people don't reach any more people for Christ than churches under 700 people. Is that kind of a crazy statistic? You expect like a 3,000 person church to reach a ton more people because there's like 3,000 of them. 
what actually happens, the smaller the church is, the more we have this idea of being on mission together, the more that we have these relationships that encourage one, or, one another out. All of us know we're not allowed to be dead weight. You know, none of, none of you can just come on and be like, well, I'm just kind of hanging out and doing nothing. Like, I tell you, we're not going to survive if you decide to do that in a church plant. Like, everybody kind of has to do everything, and I do things that I wish I didn't have to do, but we all do it because we chip in, and we want to see this thing go, and we want to see people meet Christ. And so we long to see people meet Christ, whether those are adults who've heard the gospel for the first time and respond in faith, or whether that's kids who grew up to profess faith um, and take on for themselves the faith of their parents. We long to see those things happen. And so I wonder this morning, as you've seen, elders equipping members to be missionaries to reach their culture if you don't see the beauty and the wonder of what jesus has done not only in saving us but putting us a part of this church and perfectly gearing this church this thing called the church to enter into any culture at any time and proclaim the name of jesus you can take us to africa you can take us to europe you can take us a thousand years ago you can take us two thousand years from now you can put us in the slums you can put us in the suburbs you can put us in the country club it doesn't matter the church is so designed and equipped to take the gospel into any culture any socioeconomic background any time any place and see people respond to the grace of Jesus, find their sins forgiven, and so join this thing called the church to see more people meet Christ. The church is a beautiful thing of what Christ has done. It is an amazing structure. I mean, you think Apple's cool with its billions of dollars and its tech that's in all of our pockets? Like, that's a cool organization. You think Google's cool and what they do? Institutionally, structurally, organizationally, nothing has ever been on the planet like the church. Nothing even compares to what the church has accomplished, to what Jesus has done through her. And look, here you are, a part of it. This local congregation here in Culpeper, 80 folks meeting in a gym, and yet this is what we're part of. It is a wonderful thing. And so I wonder what that means for you this week. I wonder if you're playing around with the idea of becoming a Christian, if all of a sudden I couldn't have maybe exploded a little bit your idea. It isn't just a, I want to be right with God. But wow, I want to be a part of a team that's trying to accomplish something that's going to make eternal difference. I want to see my own vocation and calling, no matter where it is, what I'm doing, how old I am, transformed and to be brought into the plan of God to reach people for Christ. We'll love to see you meet Jesus. I want to pray for us and for our congregation and we can sing. Father, we love you. We love what your word teaches. We pray that you would mold and change, that you would grow us as a congregation that that we will be ever reforming, ever transforming into the likeness of Jesus. We find ways expressed in our congregation that are just not enabling your gospel to get out to Culpeper, that, that we would come up with new ways. I pray, Father, for everyone here, that you would allow them to step into the mission you've already put them in. I pray for the Christians here that they might know the gift of leading others to Christ. I pray, Lord, that more folks who don't know Jesus would fill these yellow chairs and would be able to hear the gospel on Sunday morning in the songs we sing, in the confessions we confess, in the prayers we pray, in the sermons that we preach. We long for you, Lord God, to do what you're already doing. Use us for your glory. We pray and we ask all these things and ask them that you would do above and beyond even the things we've asked, even as we pray them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Won't we stand and respond in song? Thank mm-hmm. you.